So I was going to speak from the first text, but maybe I should say something about the Guru Tattva. Is that all right? It's a Guru Purnim. It's a interesting topic. There's been a fair amount of confusion about it over the, quite a number of years since Gaudiya Vaishnavism came to the Western world through Om Vishnupad, Paramahamsa Shri Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada, my Gurudev. The idea of the descent of the Absolute Avatar Tattva that we have been mentioning here in the context of a rather lengthy preface to discussing Srimad Bhagavatam largely with regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the nature of his uh, descent and so forth. That uh, Avatar Tattva is is described in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna begins that chapter with a historical uh, reference as to the antiquity of the teaching that he's passing on to Arjuna as if to foster within him a greater sense of uh, credibility uh, with regard to what Krishna is speaking about. The ancient science of yoga, I taught it previously, to the sun god and the sun god uh, uh, handed it down to Ikshvaku and Ikshvaku to Manu and so forth. The idea here is that it's very old and um, that it comes down to us in kind of a chain, if if you will, and so in the this is the section, kind of a preface uh, to the fourth chapter where Avatar Tattva is going to be discussed. Krishna has identified himself as someone who spoke the teaching to the gods many years ago, and of course, as much as he seeks to lend credibility to his teaching by speaking about its antiquity and its history that's been around a long time and so forth. He also creates some doubt in Arjun because he's Arjun's friend, he's on the chariot, and how could he have spoken to the gods? Humans don't speak to the gods, and it was a long time ago. And So um, the question, the, 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 the first verse of the, of, the, of the chapter, while interestingly enough seeking, seeking, as I say, to bring more credibility, more credence to the teaching, because I say, if I say, if it's been around a long time, you tend to give it more credence than if it's just a fly-by-night, uh, as they say in English, you know, here today and gone tomorrow type of a new, new, new fashion. And in the context of doing that, he also creates a doubt in Arjun, so that Arjun will further question 
and Krishna will get a chance to talk about himself and the principle of his descent avatar. So in the context of this, this idea of the parampara or chain of guru and disciple is uh, discussed. I believe it's the second verse. He says, Evam parampara praptam imam rajarshayobhiyu this is, so this is one of the places, rather um, perhaps uh, a little bit indirectly, that he speaks about the guru, guru tattva in the Bhagavad Gita, with regard to this um, repeatedly renewing, re- repeated renewal of the teaching in the course of time. And the word parampara in the verse means literally like one after another, so it implies like a chain of passing the torch, so to speak. There's So there's two things in the verse that are very interesting. There's a static um, sense of one after another uh, handing down the same thing. And then there's a dynamic sense that's brought into the equation with the word kala, Kalina Mata Yoganashtaparanda time. Time changes. So uh, a little bit indirectly, but this is a reference to the guru concept, uh, guru tattva in the Gita. Earlier in the text in the second chapter, Arjun says, I'm your Shishya, you know, you're my teacher, I surrender to you, and so forth. Another reference to the to the Guru Tattva. Um, later in the fourth chapter, there's perhaps one of the more direct statements about the the principle, the tattva of the guru. When Krishna tells Arjuna what he says, tadvidhi pranipate na paripashne na sevaya upadakshanti te gyanam gyaninas tatpadashina. So we should approach learned people, he says, and inquire from them and submissively and so forth that they are learned in the sense of having seen tattva, darshina. They've seen the truth. So talk to them. They'll talk to you about it. I read a comment on Harmonist the other day when a devotee said, really, that someone had said that the principle of guru is more important than God in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And there was some discussion around that, some truth to that, and some people wanted to nuance that. So one person said, really, in the Gita, it's hardly mentioned at all, the idea of the guru. It's a fellow that doesn't have a guru. I happen to know him. So they tend to, you know, <laughs> go in that direction whenever possible. <laughs> but uh, it shouldn't be minimized by any stretch of the imagination. A guru, in a sense, a Gaudi Vashtam represents what we want to be. It's our prospect coming before us. It's not an artificial kind of imposition, but as I've said before, when the guru speaks, and there may be there may be many mouths for the one singularity, if you will, guru, that Krishna is Ekala Ishwar Krishna Arsabritya. Krishna is the master, everyone else is the servant. So Guru is singular in that sense, but speaks through many mouths. And plural in that sense, that there are many agencies, just like there are many minds in the marketplace. I remember going to Lohi Bazaar, it's a cloth um, 
bazaar in, in, in India, and there were so many shops, and I had a friend there. I helped this business years ago by patronizing it. Patronizing, yeah. Uh, when it was, um, everyone else was going to another shop, and then he, he used to tell Tripurian Marshes, come here to my shop. And he was a young guy. I knew his father, and so that's become the most famous shop in, the, in Loy Bazaar. Dinesh, some of you may know him, maybe that Dinesh clothing or something like Anyway, I said, you know, there's so many markets here for cloth. And he said, yes, many mines in the marketplace, Maharaj. It always kind of stuck with me that, uh, and I applied it to this, uh, this context. There are many mines in the marketplace. And guru, in a sense, is more important to us than Krishna because Krishna comes to us in the form of the guru, but in a representational sense, representing the teaching theoretically and embodying that and in a tailor kind of made way that it fits for one and he fits for one, she fits for another and so forth. So there's a, there's a plurality. And of course, that faith that awakens in relation with that agent that doesn't awaken in another who has their faith awakened in, a, in still another agent and so forth. That's our deity. That's not, we should say, our, our, our doormat to wipe our feet on because someone else's faith is, has been found, awakened, nourished, cultured in relation to an agent other than what, where mine has. This is a very important Principle: Faith should rule. That's the deity, not the doormat. We tend to make it. Many people tend to make the doormat. And if your faith isn't the same in mine, I'm gonna, I'll step on yours. And my guru is better than yours. Kind of a argument is 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 uh, troublesome, problematic, and very dangerous waters to find oneself in. Our guru is best. That's sure for us. <laughs> that we can. That we can say. So, uh, many mouths, and uh, Krishna speaking through uh, many different agents, and that's very beautiful. You think, well, why do they make it so confusing? There's so many. And so, well, as I say, there are many minds in the marketplace. So, the Guru is, in a sense, more important than Krishna, in that he is a tailor made kind of package, custom just for us and locally, a local representation of the, the, the kind of the microcosmic representation of the mass microcosmic reality. Krishna is, you know, the teacher of everyone. The, the, the God is the, the master of everyone. He comes in a particular form just suited for our uh, disposition, our psychology and uh, necessity and, and so forth. So, we should pay attention there. And and he comes in as this verse from the Gita that I'm uh, mentioning, Evam Parampara Praptam, through the system of Parampara, which literally means one after another. Krishna says, Krishna says, sometimes, or through the influence of time, the teaching is lost, obscured, misunderstood. And so I come to, to um, renew that through this yeah, idea is this parampara system. Now, days it's somewhat fashionable amongst in some quarters to think that 
Migromersh, for example, had a huge and wide uh, campaign that, that effectively, in, directly or indirectly, has us all here today in his initial, the kind of the initial wave of outreach from India to the Western world of Gaudiya Gaudi Vaishnavism. Um, so we're all kind of appreciative of that and indebted to him and charmed by his, uh, awed by his sacrifice and the power of his, his, his uh, faith. These are the principal things that we should think about, about him. The measure of his faith, the, uh, the, um, how he was uh, undaunted in his pursuit and and the force of his uh, compassion and st- striking out like this with nothing his guru nishta his dedication to his own guru and his whose whose suggestion he took as an order and made it his life and soul and these things are very inspiring to all the devotees these are the same kind of things that should be certainly uh, highlighted his affectionate nature, of course, the closer you were, the more you could experience that, realize that, and so forth. So, in his absence, then there's a, you know, a bit of a, a, a vacuum that's created when a great person comes, is absent, there's a vacuum, uh, some uh, despair, some sense of necessity. And so it's a tragic thing, it would seem, but necessity, as they say, is the mother of invention, and spiritual necessity is a sign of good health. Once we were sitting with Pujapad Sridhar Marsh on his veranda in Aladweep, and he gave a beautiful description of some aspects of Krishna consciousness and Krishna Leela, and and we were very much uh, appreciative. And one of my godbrothers said, Rumors, we are completely satisfied with your explanation. He said, completely satisfied? Full up? Is it possible? <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he was really kind of stunned by that. I don't think that it is possible. That is the nature of the of the subject, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I've said nothing, what do I, it's, 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 I, words don't do justice, I was uh, limited by, uh, my language and the thought to express my feeling about this, you're satisfied, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that, he, he told us once, if a young boy is hungry, as a sign of good health. Again, as I mentioned the other day, our hunger, and we were pretty young, I was about 28 or 29, I think, 30 at the time. Our hunger, he said, has brought so many things out of me that I haven't, I've had my students here for years, a few of them, and um, keeping in a smaller circle, but your hunger has drawn out so many things. So that's, and spiritual necessity created, if you will, by the disappearance of a, of a great person. Um, it's um, auspicious, it's good. And so the sense of necessity for help, for more, 
this is this is uh, Krishna says I I fulfill that necessity. That is the parampara. So in the absence, for example, of Prabhupada, there's a court or a section of people who want to want to make the solution to the problem, if you will, of his absence and disappearance go away as if he never left by somehow trying to keep him in in this realm when he himself has been drawn to the other side. You know, it's if you talk about Krishna enough, with enough feeling and enthusiasm, you'll end up saying things, knowing things about him that are kind of embarrassing to him to being said in public. Prabhupada was in the midst of his tenth canto rendering of the Bhagavatam in the Agasur Lila. Uh, if you study very carefully his life, you'll see this was a very important section to him of the, of the Bhagavatam. He got very drawn in there. What he might have said, what he might have come out with, Krishna silenced him and took him back to Goloka. <laughs> so, they want to keep him here. And, and in effect, erase this verse from the Bhagavad Gita, evam parampara praptam. In other words, the solution to yoga nashta parantam, the kind of potential of distortion of the teaching, which is also there, and therefore, therefore, understanding that, the wise and spiritually kind of correct, if you will, uh, find a necessity for good guidance and seek it. And, of course, this is the whole, again, lesson of the Bhagavatam. Parikshit Marj was an inquirer. I should go into that a little bit. His name means inquirer, and the story of the Bhagavatam is that in his early, well, embryonic stage of life, within his, the womb of his mother, he was uh, saved, isn't it, by Krishna from uh, a weapon that had been hurled, I guess, in her direction. And and so within the womb, he Krishna appeared to him, gave him darshan, and disappeared, protecting the mother in the womb. And so his whole life, he, he was born with an inquiring spirit, and the inquiry was, who was that? And I want to find him again, something like that. So, he, this is the other side of, you know, I spoke of him as a king and, and personifying kind of the materialistic uh, persona of acquisition and so forth. The other side of him, which I also mentioned slightly but didn't go into it in any detail, was that he was a devotee. He had an inquiring spirit. He had a necessity uh, that Sudev was the answer to. So this necessity, this is the necessity. And this is the solution to any apparent spiritual um, vacuum, this kind of necessity for help, for guidance. Um, as this necessity reached a peak and augmented by circumstance, Sukadeva appeared on the scene. So it's a kind of like Krishna and love of Krishna. They're one and different, as I've mentioned in some earlier discussions. And disciple and guru, they're kind of one and different. The necessity of the disciple is defining the guru and and causing that manifestation of 
Krishna in the form of Guru Tattva to come into our lives and and so forth. So sometimes it's thought we look for the Guru, sometimes say the Guru looks for us. And what is the meaning of the agent without the student? He has to connect with who are the students and that defines him or her then and so so the point here I'm making is that this this is a one and different kind of a relationship in a sense. And so again, the Guru is not an artificial imposition upon us, but rather our prospect coming before us. And therefore, when he or she speaks, it hits home, as they say. And for home-knowing, a home-knowing person. For home-going, I should say, a home-knowing person is required and he or she speaks in such a way as if it touches home, hits home and it feels natural. It feels like, yeah, I thought that too. I feel like that also. I couldn't say it like that, but I feel that way. So we feel at home there and home is in the heart. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami has gone to some length in Chaitanya Charitamrita in the opening chapter to explain this uh, concept where he says that the Guru is within that antaryami, indwelling form of the Lord, very close to us in our... And people want to think like, why should I have a guru? God's in my heart. We agree. We agree. This is our teaching. Guru's in the heart. Krishna's in the heart. He's the guru. But we don't listen to him too well. We listen to our minds more than our hearts. Or we have other things in our heart that have kind of cluttered the picture. And... uh, other shopkeepers have set up a market in in our heart, desires and so forth. So, out of his infinite compassion, he manifests externally. And we'll feel comfortable with this principle when we have experience of it. And the experience is, this feels like home. I feel comfortable with this. I feel that by investing myself here, that... I can really be all that I that uh, I sense I can be. I also feel I feel two things. I feel all that I could have. I feel I have great potential in this uh, by by such association. It's speaking about to me in so many ways uh, all that I could possibly be, and it's also making very clear to me what I am now <laughs> and what I where where I have to go from. From here, so it's, a, it's an interesting kind of pulling in two directions. We feel our conditioning, and we feel our potential. In order to realize our potential, we have to understand the, the, the degree and nature of our conditioning, so that we can deal with it effectively. So, this will be understood when you somewhat theoretically, and we may struggle with it even. But when we ha- when we find- when we meet our guru, when we are meeting ourself in the sense of our prospect, as I say, our potentiality and so forth, and so it feels natural. When I met Prabhupada, uh, well, I, he appeared to me in a dream before I met him, actually, and shook his cane at me. Yeah, and uh, and later I saw that place in Mayapur where I had seen him years later in, in a dream before I had ever met him, walk, walking and looking at theistic exhibits in Mayapur that had been erected. He turned into his cane and he said, I don't know what, I don't, I don't think he said anything, but I woke up from the dream and I was electrified by that. 
And, uh, and then when I first met him personally, it was in the Los Angeles airport. Prabhupada had a very powerful, the most powerful thing about Prabhupada was his eyes. You know, he was only probably about five foot four or something like that, or five foot five, quite short in stature, but he seemed as tall as a mountain. And he would always, he would look up as if, you know, his eyes were always fixed on there and was applying himself here. But if, in other words, his glance, I don't mean literally up, although it was, he walked in a kind of aristocratic way with his head up and, and, but his, he was so controlled that you felt if his eyes landed on you, that the whole universe was looking at you, or that he was like, that he was looking at you and through you and into you, and you couldn't look at him unless your heart was in the right place. You couldn't you couldn't stay in the you know in the, in, in a visual exchange. And so it was very, very powerful, very magnetic, and he had what Baladev Bhujibushan describes in his Gita commentary: the power to bless by his glance. And I experienced that a number of times. And the first time that I met him personally, we were in an airport, about 300 devotees. Airports were different in those days. And we were chanting, we were having a big kirtan. You can imagine that now with all the security. <laughs> <laughs> and Prabhupada was in a plane coming in. And for some reason, the plane was restricted from landing or something was going on. And it was going round and round. And the kirtan was going and going. And... And the people in the airport were just going, well, this is different, you know, who's coming off that plane and, and so forth. And, and I remember thinking, Krishna must be arranging this. So everybody in the airport here is, you know, going to pay attention and, and so forth. And then he came off the plane and uh, so many people, he looked right at me and um, blessed me with his, I'm sure he looked at some others too, <laughs> but he looked at me and blessed me with his transcendental Glance, and I felt like my feeling was, I've met a long lost friend come to collect me up. We've known each other forever. So it was a very powerful experience, a very powerful example of what I'm talking about. We may have less powerful experiences of the same principle, the same phenomenon that I'm speaking about, feeling at home and so forth. This one was a very powerful one. We may be meeting our guru for the first time, we may be meeting him after many times coming to collect us up again, something like that. Some of us hit the ground, you know, with this running, and <laughs> some take a little longer to start up and get going. Next life will be easier, for sure. So, uh, at any rate, it's not a point is it's not an artificial imposition. And this feeling, in the sense of people, that God's in my heart. Why do I need some somebody else to talk to me? is natural, understandable, and um, I'm just, in terms of Gaudiya Siddhanta Narachichi, I want to play that out a little bit, in terms of how it's not contradictory to that feeling, in that sense, to also say that he appears externally. Appears externally means he's standing outside, or she's standing outside, but our feeling is that he or she corresponds with what's inside of us. It's a very interesting uh, phenomenon. Of course, it's very difficult to understand, and the tattoo of Guru has been very much misrepresented. So, problem for the for the group, for the Guru tattoo. 
so much misrepresentation, so there's doubt and trepidation and so forth. And unfortunately, a good amount of the, the, the doubting atmosphere that has crept up at the time of the disappearance of our Guru Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada, is, is largely due to misunderstanding the, this, this principle. And the verse I'm speaking about, which says there's a solution to the problem, the necessity that's created, the problem. And you ever meet people who like problems? It's, it's kind of like irritating in a sense. We've got a problem. <laughs> Great. And they're all excited about it. But <laughs> in another sense, it's, we, we say there are no problems, only service opportunities that present themselves. And so I can identify with them to some extent as well. So this is a problem. The guru has disappeared. There's a necessity has been created if we understand it properly. In the parampara, this word is the solution. Krishna says, when there's a problem, did my teachings become uh, distorted and there's a need for further understanding of them or something? There was, uh, for example, the, the, the teaching about guru. Well, when he leaves, how much you understood? Then you have to think about that. And uh, what just happened? Who was that? What happened to me? Because it's, it's rather... Um, otherworldly um, in the full sense of the experience. And so you have to think about it so what, a little bit. Well, what was that all about? What, I mean, you know the philosophy and so forth, but you have to apply that. And so Krishna says, when that happens by the influence of time, and who is time? Krishna says, time I am. So what does this mean? It means that Krishna as time He's taking that devotee away to cause, to create the problem. He's taking him because he loves him. He's putting a hand over his mouth and taking him back to Goloka. Krishna's creating the problem and Krishna's making the solution. He wants to take that devotee and he wants another devotee to be glorified and, and, and fill the gap and make, make the solution. He said the solution is parampara one after another. Those who want to keep, for example, Prabhupada here in some kind of a mental way and then mentally start fabricating a Prabhupada that, and it's, I mean, I know Prabhupada was his disciple, I knew him personally and so forth, and I see this kind of a fabrication that results in a very different person then one I almost wouldn't want to associate with, uh, very set in stone, very um, so much uh, surrounded by Aishvarya and and um, and so forth. And he really uh, that was rather uh, I was speaking about this earlier. Rather a creation, if you will. Then if you look at Prabhupada in earlier times, in his, when his movement was smaller and so forth, very intimate and. Uh, he even washed the clothes for the devotees. He would cook for them and so forth. As time came on and the mission became bigger and so forth, and certain people were put in managerial positions, they started to keep create a distance between the balance of Prabhupada's disciples and Prabhupada. They used to have this thing. Oh, you don't mind me talking about these histories, huh? Some earlier talk has kind of brought some of this up. 
and they they would always announce wherever Prabhupada was. They would the, the the leaders, the managers. I was never one of those managers anyway. I was a different kind of leader. I wasn't a manager, but at any rate, they would uh, make an announcement, and only the GBC and the sannyasis if you, if you can go on the walk with Prabhupada in the morning. I mean, I understood that everybody just can't go. There's, you know, 500 devotees there in Mayapur. How could they all go on the walk? Well, the other side of it is they could, actually. Mm-hmm. That's the teaching. They could all go on the walk. How big is Vrindavan? And Maharaj had, Nanda had 900,000 cows. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> one of my godbrothers did the math once and said, Prabhupada, 900,000 cows wouldn't fit in Vrindavan. Mm-hmm. And Prabhupada said, you think too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my governors, I was with him, and we were walking with Prabhupada in Vrindavan, and he said, Prabhupada, yesterday, you know, we took a bus to Varshana, and the uh, day before that, we took a bus to Govardhan. You know, it took all day to go to these places, and go around Govardhan Hill, and come back, and and we read in the Krishna book that Krishna goes, you know, at at night to one place. He's, you know, he's back before daylight, and uh, every day he goes to Govardhan. He's back, you know, to to Nandagram, and these are long distances. How is it possible? And Prabhupada said, he said, well, Vrindavan is like a lotus, and there, and the different places are so many petals, and so when Krishna wants to go from one petal. To another, the lotus closes up like this, and then it opens up again. <laughs> so these are kind of like spiritual answers to to attempts to break down, to, to to break into the spiritual world by the force of logic and reasoning, which is repugnant to the spiritual side. You know, we should use our logic and reasoning fully in spiritual pursuit, but it's not the guiding. Light that will take us to our faith, our bhakti, devotion, which is reasonable. We should have a reasonable faith and, and well-reasoned love. But love transcends reason. Faith, bhakti, that corresponds with the faith. Is, this is the this is the the means. And if we try to force break down the door with our logic, then we'll find we, so many doubts come within us. It doesn't seem to fit here. It's not supposed to. Is the point? It's not supposed to fit just between your ears. That would be very unfortunate. If the whole thing could do that, it would make it very uh, boring. So everybody could have gone on the walk. Is my thinking. Everyone could have gone if they wanted to. And if you want Krishna, you can have Krishna. It's only a question of desire. So they would make that announcement. Only the GBC and the and the uh, sannyasis can go on the walk. I'd appreciate it from a management point of view, but I went on the walk. I went anyway. <laughs> I was a good, bit of a disobedient, I guess, but every time Prabhupada would turn to me and say, oh, Tripurari. So, what are they saying? Because I was always talking to people. My service was in the field, so to speak, just uh, speaking to people about the books and so forth. So I would hear their arguments, and, and Prabhupada would ask me, what are the people saying? And then I would give an argument, and Prabhupada would defeat the argument and so forth. He was quite, uh, you know, kind to me, and they couldn't say anything. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be there because their Prabhupada was talking to me. I had another experience once. I mean, I had that experience many times. One time, 
Prabhupada arrived in uh, in San Francisco for the Rath Yatra, and that was the most famous of the Rath Yatras. You know, that at that time, I don't think there maybe there was a they were doing one in one other or two other towns or something, but it all started there. So anyway, Prabhupada came to San Francisco for Rath Yatra, and we greeted him and and brought him back from the airport, and so all the leaders, the sannyasis and the GBC, they went with Prabhupada and they went upstairs and I just loved Prabhupada I thought he's here, I don't get to see him very often I'm, you know, I'm with him, so I went up the stairs too and they, you know at the time they they were uncomfortable with my my, <laughs> my presence and so everyone, in the, uh, Prabhupada sat down and I kind of felt like everybody's wondering what who's Prabhupada going to talk to first and I was wondering, wonder who's going to talk to first and so he talked to me. He said, "So, how are you?" You know, and so forth. And then, and then, um, and then, and then, these were all the leaders who had the reports of their zone, what was going on there. And they had, I mean, I didn't really have anything to report. You know, I was just there because I, I wanted to be there, so to speak. And then Prabhupada asked, "And where is Jayananda?" Jayananda is the is the is his disciple who who built the Rathayatra cart, the original Rathayatra cart. And drove a taxi for six months to pay for the whole festival, for the first festival, which was on the back of a, like a flatbed truck. And they put the Jagannath deity on there and so forth. And, and then if, year after year, he developed the building of the chariots. And he developed a system. He made these big chariots and he had them all, you know, the pieces and he would store them and put them back together. So every year, he'd be working to the last minute. So he was in the field. Also, because he probably was like kind of in the field in his mind and his consciousness with the, with, with the, uh, rank and file kind of devotees and in many respects sometimes more than with the management. And I don't mean to say that the management wasn't important and they didn't do, you know, they didn't endear themselves at times to, to Prabhupada. Um, but he did want a kind of a management light kind of a group. He said it should be run by two things, love and trust. And have a meeting for a few hours or a couple of days every year to decide how to where you're going to preach. That was his idea. But at any rate, he asked, "Where is Jayananda?" And of course, he knew where Jayananda was. Jayananda was there, building the carts and so forth. And so, he was making a point to them: "If you want to get close to me, there are other ways than just physical closeness." When I was there, I was having physical association. That's important too. Uh, I had another experience when Prabhupada arrived in Los Angeles one year, and it was Friday afternoon, and we was I was selling books in the Los Angeles airport illegally, and it was a very busy time Friday afternoon, so you could sell more books because we were less likely to get caught there. Mm-hmm. And um, I got caught about a dozen times, and every time they took me to the to the local kind of police station in the in the airport. By the time I got there, I talked my way out of it and they let me go. <laughs> it, was, it was a very uh, interesting experience. But anyway, Prabhupada came, and so I used to sell books in in secular clothing, kind of in you know in, in undercover kind of agent, as it was. Mm-hmm. So I changed my clothes, my devotional clothes, and Prabhupada came, and then I was t- torn between. Everyone was like rushing back to Los Angeles to the, to the temple. To be with Prabhupada, there I was, and I had this plate full of service, which, uh, which was dear to him. It was the busiest time, and so I thought, I can't go back. I have to serve. Service is 
calling in this instance, it doesn't allow me to be in his presence, that should take preference. Take 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 preference. So I stayed there and the more I distributed the books that day, the closer I felt to Prabhupada. And when I went finally did go back to the temple, I drove back and off the four oh five and onto the Watsika Lane, it was a it's a long street and and you know, many stoplights and all the lights were green one after another. It was like I had a like to me it was like everything had been arranged, you know, to come back and without any difficulty and because uh, if I got back too late, well, you know, I would miss the darshan and so forth. So anyway, I got back and as soon as I arrived, three or four devotees came to me and said, Tripurani, Prabhupada's been speaking about you all afternoon about the area, you know, book distribution, the kind of sacrifice you're making. So I thought, I felt, oh, this, uh, I was, it was an imagination. I was on his mind, so to speak. So, at any rate, so the absence of such a person in your life is, 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 creates a necessity. If you're really there, then you really have a necessity. And if you have the necessity, then you will not be distanced. I had the necessity. I felt that, that, as I say, everybody could have gone on the walk. I didn't take his association lightly. If, as I say, if service called, I would be, I would be there for that. But if the opportunity presented itself, I would take every, every opportunity that presented itself to take advantage of his personal association. And I felt like the whole group could have gone on the walk. I was with Prabhupada in Chicago once. We were in his room and I was a sannyasi at that time. That's one of the reasons I took sannyas. I thought, I'm tired of these guys giving me a hard time. <laughs> if you're a sannyasi, then you can just go right on in, you know. So it was really sincerely one of my motives. And um, so anyway, I was there and we were listening to Prabhupada. He was chatting and so forth and it was very intimate. And then there was this big bang and crash outside the window. And so Prabhupada said, what is that? And we got up to see what it was. And it was a devotee had balanced himself on, on something to, to kind of hear what his guru was talking about in the room. And it broke and fell off and crashed onto the ground. And so the manager, one of the managers, was really upset and chastised him. And, what are you doing out there? Are you making a... And Prabhupada said, what, what, what was that? What happened? He said, oh, it's so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, he did. And Prabhupada said, what is he doing out there? Come on in if he wants to hear. Why is he out there? <laughs> Very innocently, you know. Why hasn't he come in? And so then the fellow got to be brought in and the management was upset with him. Probably. So, anyway, he was... Uh, the earnestness, the, the interest, the interest, uh, the necessity, this... Uh, Brings about the reciprocation. There's this famous story of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, who was printing Prabhupada's guru, who was printing the Nadia Prakash. It was a daily magazine, and one of the people in the in the in the, in the government questioned, "How do you print a magazine every day about God? That's pretty. That's a lot. It's a little over the top." And he replied, "We could print one every minute." There's no dearth of information, but there's not too many customers. That's the problem. There's a shortage of, of interest. So anyway, this interest, this sincerity, this necessity, this need, it's a healthy thing. It's good. And it will bring reciprocation from the other side. There's no shortage there. We have to understand. There's no lacking on God's part to reveal himself. Lacking is in our necessity, our interest, and so forth. So... And he said in his verse, he creates a system. 
The system is one after the other. When one leaves, which he, by as time, takes away, he wants to showcase another of his devotees, put him in the forefront and say, listen to him. This is his Leela. So the two things in the verse are important. There's the parampara means one after another, which sounds kind of static. You take it as it is, to use the phrase of Prabhupada, hand it down as it is, without altering it or changing anything. It has kind of a static connotation. One after the other. Then the other part of the verse says, this happens by the influence of time, and time means changes. The times change. They're new. They're different. The circumstances are different. So there's a need to also present the same teaching in a dynamic way, in an essential way. And the teacher who is in the chain of command, so to speak, is not just some moron, like some parrot, who just repeats the thing like, you know, like a parrot, without any any alteration. Sukadev who's a speaker of the Bhagavatam, isn't said to have repeated what he heard from Vyas like a parrot in the, in the sense of just repeating mindlessly, but in a way they've made it more sweet such that Vyas, who taught him the Bhagavatam, sat in the audience and was relishing it. He taught his son Sukadev the Bhagavatam and then he sat in to hear Sukadev speak it because he knew the nature of the subject, he thought. What's he going to say? Well, how is it going to? How is that having been placed in his heart? How is he going to respond to that? What's going to be the reaction? He's on the edge of his seat. Narada was there. They were all senior to Sukadev, and he came out with something wonderful. So the principle of parampara is to represent one after another, but the one after the other may look different ostensibly than than the previous one, and talk about it differently and. That is important because the guru is supposed to kind of challenge us and wake us up and make us think and uh, speak about it a little differently, perhaps. That uh, shuffle the deck, we'll you know, see if people are paying attention. So now this idea, this out and about in some quarters, as they say, to keep Prabhupada here, <laughs> so to speak, ends into creating a mental idea of him that isn't in concert with with the, uh, the, the Siddhanta, the scriptural conclusions, and which makes for a, uh, a person that's quite uh, 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 different than the person of Prabhupada in this instance, in this example, really was and makes for a very static then at best. Um, if less than static, if not backward, kind of presentation of the teaching. People say, well, you know, what would Prabhupada say if he was here now? We have the answer. I don't know, what would Prabhupada say if he was here now? The answer is Guru Parampara. That there are gurus who are continuing the Parampara, and what they are saying in this time, in this circumstance, that's what Prabhupada would be saying, basically. That's the teaching. Hmm. So he's, he's not, they want to say he's still here. We say, yeah, he's here. And this is the teaching of how he's here. In this way. In his son, in his daughter, in his, in his nephew. Uh, you know, as may be the case. And perhaps different degrees with different nuances that will work for, for, for some and then for others in other ways and, 
And so, but essentially and substantially, there. And who is who is that Prabhupada? And that what is that Guru Tattva? Again, that is Krishna. He's singular, but appearing through many, many mouths. So at any rate, this this is this is a very very important and in our tradition very foundational. And I I, I don't see how it. I know you know, are all familiar with the. Uh, Trashing of the guru and, <laughs> and the priesthood and monasticism <laughs> in, uh, in Lutherism and Lutheranism in these parts from uh, the Christian side, but I, I kind of more, more Catholic in my appreciations of Christianity and that they, they generated so many saints and, and, um, that idea of intermediary, of course, it, it gets obscured and, uh, and abused, and Luther understood that well, much to his credit, and stood up against a very courageous. I seen the movie about him, and it was I, I watched it with rapt attention and interest. But um, I don't really think that you can get away from this principle. So even in the you know in all forms of Protestantism, you end up having the charismatic leaders and the reverends and. Uh, you know what not it's it's pretty hard to do away with the principle altogether it's the basic principle of the teacher and and it, it, india is beautiful in this regard because that principle is so all pervasive or at least it, it 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 was or has been um in its in its uh religious past the te- the older brother is the teacher the father is the teacher the mother is the teacher that the teacher, they're all gurus. I mean, the, 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 the teachers at school are gurus, and this kind of respect for, um, well, you know, it's different than postmodernism, <laughs> where hierarchies trust ought to be, you know, done away with altogether. I, I can understand that to an extent, but um, you know, there was a time when there was a clear idea that there was a hierarchy that to the to, within to the spirituality. There was a respect for the high side, and then with modernism and uh, scientific revolution and so forth, this kind of there was a kind of a attempt to like bridge the gap, and then the profane was not there than the sacred, right? And modern art was a good ex- impressionist art was a good example of that. Um, but I don't. At the same time, I think it's really uh, you can only take this so far, and that's uh, a little bit. Uh, um, Artificial to do away with hierarchy altogether, and it doesn't have to be um, a bad thing. Even though we say um, anar- in anarchism, there's one type of authority is acknowledged. You study it carefully, whereas another, the oppressive authority is not. The natural authority of one's qualities and abilities should be recognized amplified, appreciated, taken advantage of. One person will be skilled in a natural way in a certain field over another. Even in anarchism, this kind of authority, natural authority, if you will, is to be respected. And when we really speak about spirituality and Vedanta, this is the kind of authority we're speaking about. I realize it gets broken down and misrepresented and then people take positions of authority over people, not based on skills or actual that which is inherent in them, their own 
contributions and so forth. Do you follow me? <laughs> so when we speak about spiritual authority and hierarchy, we're really speaking about it in anarchistic uh, terms, in, in, in a sense. <laughs> and and uh, I, I well, let me say this to you as well that and I have touched on it in earlier talks. The fact that in this type of equation, you know, you're sitting there and I'm sitting here and you're sitting way up there. And, <laughs> and, uh, and you're part of the equation of whatever's happening here. I'm learning from your interest, your, your inquiry and, and so forth. And, uh, and in speaking things that I may not have spoken before, the great Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur once sat on a seat, um, on the day of his birthday, that they were celebrating his his his, his appearance in the world, with a lot of um, ado and pomp and so forth, and then it all quieted down, and he spoke and he said, "Look at me, the big beast here. You are all thinking, sitting on this seat, uh, and so forth." Uh, but he, he, as he went on to lecture, he said that actually he he explained that he saw everyone in the audience as his own teacher and that uh, that was the true experience of the guru as I said earlier there's a merging here between the guru and the disciple you cannot have a teacher there's no meaning to teacher without student right <laughs> there's no meaning to the student without the teacher so we have some something in common, and, and the guru wants to learn from the students, have opportunity to be. They give him an opportunity to be engaged in service, and so forth. And um, he or she is looking for gurus, not students. And and what is a guru in Vaishnavism? A guru in Vaishnavism is, you think, well, can I be the guru? Can women be gurus? Can handicapped people be gurus? Can bisexuals be gurus? And, you know, you get these kind of questions and so forth. <laughs> and, you know, sure they can. But um, what is the guru? Then the guru is, what are we teaching here? We're teaching service. We're teaching bhakti. So it really takes like the air out of the whole thing all of a sudden. Oh, the guru is the best servant. Whoever serves the best... <laughs> He becomes a teacher. She becomes a teacher of serving. That's what we're teaching. About ser- who's a good servant can teach about service as a service. So in our tradition, the guru isn't the god in all respects and the lord of all he or she surveys and so forth. But one, as I'm explaining in a dynamic sense, with the uh, with the uh, with the students, so um, it's at any rate a very uh, important uh, principle, and one I think that it's difficult to do away with, even in secular society. And again, I use this example of anarchism uh, to illustrate the point: a natural authority. Hmm? Sukadev, the boy naked who appeared in the scene to enlighten the Raj, he was a natural authority. There was a discussion going on what's what the Raj should do because he had seven days to live and all kinds of people were offering their opinions. 
and the boy appeared on the scene and everyone just felt, oh, here's an authority. He knows what to do at the time of death because the real problem is attachment and he has no attachment. So they, they put him on a seat and in a natural way. This is, this is the idea. And if it's not natural for you, then fine. <laughs> There's no problem. But that it might be for others, then we should honor their reality. That's fairly postmodern. So, uh, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, so it's, it's, I, I, I do believe it's an important principle and it expresses itself in secular society and all branches of religion and it's really kind of difficult to do away with. And it's a beautiful thing if properly understood and admittedly it's a most ugly thing when not properly understood by the one who's supposed to be performing the, the service of the teacher and that misrepresentation as loudly as it speaks to us and as loudly as it is off-putting should speak equally loud to us as to the fact that as much and as bad as there is misrepresentation, there must be proper representation because, of course, there cannot be misrepresentation unless there is actual authentic representation. So again, the necessity, even bad representation, if we're thoughtful, will create in us a necessity. Find out a good representation. It must be there. I must find it out. And that necessity then will give birth to that um, kind of reciprocation that um, brings us kind of in, in touch with the home in our heart, as I say, manifesting externally. So this, anyway, is uh, the Guru Purnim Day, and uh, it's wonderful that it appears in conjunction with the disappearance of Sanatana Goswami, whom, as I explained earlier, in many ways, it's kind of the foundational guru. I realize we think of ourselves as Rupanuga, but that's in relation, as I said, to the Nitya Leela, Krishna Leela, where Rupa takes precedence, but in Gaur Leela, Sanatana Prabhu is, is the leader, and Rupa Goswami pays his pranam, his respect to him in his texts, and so forth. So, <coughs> a few words, anyway, on the Guru Tattva. Guru Purnim Kijai. Any question? Yes. I was thinking about the doing service in separation. Uh, like you said about how Prabhupada had asked for the devotee who was doing the service. But then at the same time, it said that Sadhusanga is so important. So. Mm-hmm. How do you balance it, too? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting thought, and uh, I did touch on it as much as one has to ascertain what is the necessity of the moment in relation to service, how one can... We use our intelligence to, to question whether God exists or not. When we're that's the answer, then we use our intelligence how to serve God best in any instance. So it has its place um, there as well. And and so uh, one has to, in a thoughtful way and in a feeling way, determine how they will best be of service to the to the whole in any given instance. It may be through separation in a certain instance or through through union. And those are individual kind of decisions. Um, it's kind of hard to air. Sridhar Maharaj was once, uh, Pujapat Sridhar Maharaj was asked to go to the West 
selected by Bhakti Siddhanta to preach in the West because of his erudition and and whatnot. But he said, I don't think I'm the best candidate, he offered humbly back to his guru. I don't think I'm the best candidate. Whatever you say, I'll do that. But I put forward, I don't think I'm the best candidate because my tendency is always to keep in smaller circles and not have much contact with the larger public. And there are others amongst us who speak better English than I do. And thirdly, your company is very valuable. And how long you will be with us, I cannot say. And I feel that to take advantage of that will be most important to me. <laughs> and Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthaka was charmed by that. He picked someone else. So there's a place for that. I would say that as a governing principle, you try to get the personal association as much as you can, and there will be plenty of times when you can't, and you'll have to serve in separation by just by force of circumstance. I wouldn't say you, the gopis don't try for separation, but it does occur. They don't want it, but it does occur. And when it does, they're separate for Krish, from Krishna for the pleasure of Krishna. So they feel his presence in a very intense way. It's also said that in union, we see Krishna in one place, right in front of us. And in separation, we see him everywhere. Everywhere we look, we're reminded of him. So, this is the, this is the kind of a dynamic of love. It's like, like a river that flows between two banks, union and separation. She loves me, she loves me not. Uh, this kind of, we find Krishna. Separate from Radha, union with Radha. His friends have to console him. Radha's feeling separation. Her friends have to console her. Union and separation. Try for union. <laughs> and there will be separation. And then you'll find that. I remember the first time I experienced that in relation to Prabhupada. He had come, he was in Los Angeles and he was there for three months. And... Uh, it was the second time that I got to spend like three months with him in Los Angeles. And then I was a little more fixed up in my, my practice and so forth. So I was very, wherever he would, whenever the, whenever he would come out the door and I was there, like in the morning he'd come out the door to go on a walk, I would be there and open the door for him to go in the car. And if for service I, reasons I couldn't go on the walk, I'd be there when he came back, and then he'd go in his room, and then he'd, through there he'd come out another door to come into the temple, and I'd be around, and I would be there. I used to stand right next to his his seat, his Vyasasan, <coughs> during his lectures. And um, so, anyway, you know, try for union, that's good. Uh, separation will come of its own accord. I had been there for three months like that with Prabhupada and I was so attached to him and then somebody it didn't even dawn on me somebody said that on Tuesday which like two days away Prabhupada will be leaving he's going to you know such and such and I was like what are you talking about Prabhupada's leaving this can't end I just I, I was I I didn't think about it but I realized afterwards that sounded so weird to me that Prabhupada leaving. I was like living in this bubble of like, this is what we do. This I'm here. I've arrived. You know, this is never going to end. And obviously, it was going to end. He was going to go somewhere else. And you know, was he crazy or something? The guy looked at me like, "What are you crazy?" And I guess I was. You know, I was. 
a little crazy. I, and anyway, then I began to feel, probably was still there for two days, I began to feel that that he was leaving. It was very powerful, very powerful and compelling. And, and I became so ecstatic from that. Then I, then I had the experience of the kind of thing that's spoken about it, you know, a little experience of what's spoken about it in the scripture. I thought, that, that's what they're talking about. This is a, that's a very interesting. <laughs> anyway, so try for reunion. That's good. What else? Another question? That's it, man. I wrote to you about. <laughs> All right, so we'll stop there. Group or name? Yeah. Yeah.